So hi folks, Dave here. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know that we've teamed up with audible.co.uk and we're offering you a free audiobook. All you have to do is register for a one month free trial to claim your free audiobook, of which there are over 250,000 to choose from. It's a 30 day free trial. It means you can choose a free audiobook, which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel that trial period or not. Free piece of advice, if you're gonna try an audiobook, go for Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. Anyway, sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Back to the show. Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast that comes to you every Monday and Thursday that is for the love of tech. And today it's with David Savage and Josie Rollings because Jack's still on holiday. On today's show, we've got the Director of Architecture from the Perform Group, and then we're having a conversation taken from an article in UKTN, where the CEO of Zinc has been talking about the top five tips in hiring tech talent. Hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Josie. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for stepping into Jack's shoes. That's all right. I think he's back next week. Monday, I think. Are you looking forward to it, giving you work next to him? It's been quite quiet with him away. It's been quite pleasant, really. Yeah, and it's a beautiful morning this morning. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's nicer in America, though, but um, I'm sure we'll be back soon. Well, I don't know. I, I freely admit that um, I got into work slightly later because I kept stopping to take photos this morning. Well, everyone needs to look at your Instagram, and I see you do that every morning. I don't do that every morning. Um, anyway, oh dear. Um, I've got a bit of a feel-good story. Okay. You know how it's National Inclusion Week? It is. We've been taking photos saying what inclusion or diversity uh, means to us, right? And I sometimes think that those things can feel like a bit of a tick-the-box exercise, mm. right? So I decided to try and be as, as sharing as I could. And I spoke about the fact that my dad's transgender and whatever else and, and, and the kind of the story and why that means something to me. Posted it out and someone who I know through a professional setting responded on LinkedIn to say that they weren't openly telling lots of people that they're transgender, but that the post meant a lot because it showed that people listen and care. Oh, so they're inspired by your story. Well, I think, I think it shows that if you put stuff out there on social, it's not necessarily a black hole and it can touch someone. Yeah, that's true. That's the whole point of National Inclusion Week, really, isn't it? Yeah. Getting those messages out there. So if anyone's out there and thinking, should I say something about National Inclusion Week or not? Uh, and you think, well, what's the point? What difference is it going to make? might make a difference to someone. So, feel good, right? Very feel good. On a nice, bright, sunny day. Especially for a Thursday. Get us through till the weekend. Yeah, nearly there. <laughs> so, on today's show, we've got Matthew. He's the Director of Architecture at Perform Group. And then we are stealing an article from UK Technology News. Uh, Luke Shipley, who's the CEO of Zinc, has written an opinion piece uh, in UKTN. But first of all, here's the interview. So we're joined by Matthew. You are the architecture director at the Perform Group. Yes, that's right. Uh, now, a couple of your brands I have heard of. So absolutely, I've heard of Opta, but I hadn't heard of Perform. So just very quickly, for anyone who's not familiar with your brand, what is the Perform Group and what are some of those brands and, and what is your role within that organisation? So yes, you're right. You, no one has ever heard of Perform Group, um, but it provides the, uh, a lot of the sports data content 
online. So if you've ever seen uh, a match highlight online on a website, if you've ever seen a live video feed of a, a sporting match on, on, on the internet, or often if you've just read some news on the internet, a lot of it comes from Perform. Um, we uh, provide these services to lots of different companies. Um, and they're all, a lot of them are consuming our content. So we are behind the scenes providing all of this. But as you say, some of our brands um, you will have heard of, Opta for the sports data, websites like Goal.com, um, Sporting News. Um, and uh, more recently in, um, in Europe and in Japan and Canada, uh, and very soon, as has just been announced in Italy and America, uh, uh, DAZONE, which is the, the Netflix of sport. So you've got the Netflix of sport, which I assume is a B2C proposition. That is, yes. You've got a B2B2C through yep. kind of distribution through video, and also you've got a B2B in terms of giving stats to people and, and also content that they can yes. use on their own side. Yes, that's right. Across multiple different products. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this one of the key selling points of the Perform is we can provide the full package. So we yeah. do. We've got the sports data. We've got the video, live video. We've got the video on demand. We've got all the journalism, and they all integrate together. So you can have that one package from Perform. That must give you a bit of a headache, though, because from a development point of view, from an architecture point of view, your customer is uh, spread across different geographies, it's spread across different markets, it's different interests. So knowing how to develop a, a product for a customer, whereas if, if you're talking to a smaller technology business, they might have one particular market in mind, that's easier than it must be here. Yeah, one of the what we've tried to do over the years is to create a, a platform where we have a number of separate services that integrate nicely. So if you uh, take video from us and you want the sports data, it's just simply an add-on package and it's mm. all there. Everything ties up, everything integrates, all the identifiers and the APIs all, all um, integrate together. Uh, so that is what we've tried to do. Um, and so it should be relatively easy to create products off our services. So. You're the director of architecture. Yes. Uh, you mentioned before we hit record that a lot of your architects, or is it even all of your architects, basically came from your own development team? All of our application architects did, right. yes. We do have, there's in separate divisions, there's uh, the security architects, the technical architects, and the video architects. Um, but yes, all the application architects are uh, ex-developers. Because you're developing, or you're trying to develop in an agile framework, and then that as well, you're trying to build architecture using Agile as well. Yes, absolutely. So I suppose that must help if they've come from the organization, they've developed in the organization, both actually hands-on development languages and also their own personal and uh, kind of skills as an individual. That must help you somehow put that together in a way that works. Absolutely. Um, so we, in our business, we found that um, our ability to use off-the-shelf software is very limited, um, certainly when we're dealing with stuff that's very specific to sports, the way we model sports, the way we handle video, it's all very, very niche and unique to us. So we've had to build a large portion of our, our infrastructure and our systems. Um, so um, as a result, when we're talking big picture, when we're talking about the architecture, we know 70% of the time we're going to have to build this ourselves. Um, so we, we will be needing developers. Um, Having the architects from a development background is incredibly useful. Um, uh, everyone, any any technically skilled person in a certain niche in an area, um, especially developers, have their own language and the way of mm. behaving and the way of working. Um, and having the the technical leadership for those uh, systems is uh, having understanding what's going on is is very valuable. I mean, how how do you manage that from a succession planning point of view? Because that not every developer necessarily will want to 
become an application architect, I guess. And some people are just very good developers, and that's, that might be what they want to be. So that must be a real talent uh, and skills training kind of juggling ball. You've, you've got several kind of uh, dishes up in the air to keep spinning uh, whilst also moving the organization forward. It, that has to be a bit of a challenge. That is, um, and but it's actually one of the key, uh, things we've been improving a lot in Perform, and we're really pleased with what we've done. Um, a developer can make their way up to become a technical lead um, and be responsible for these uh, systems from a development perspective. Mm. If they are interested in architecture, they, there's that career path. They can move into architecture and, and work with the, all the other architecture teams. And of course, there's always the option of going into management. So they've got these multiple avenues open to them. And how long have you been here, just out of interest? I've been here 12 years. What's kept you here so long? Because that, that is a long time as a technologist. You look at, you look at the majority of technologists technology leaders they tend to move on every couple of years and that's not to say that staying anywhere for a long period of time is bad but it's just outside of the norm these days so what is it that's kept you here do you think? you'll find actually within perform a lot of people do stay here for a long time and that really comes down to there's always something new no one ever gets bored no one has ever complained of being bored of perform <laughs> it just good. simply has not happened um, there's always something new um, we, we're always looking into new markets there's lots of new products uh, the world is in sports and the internet is changing so rapidly. There's always something new going on. Um, and as a result, uh, challenge it, my job and everyone's job from year to year does change drastically anyway, uh, because just because of the new challenges. And as a, as a content provider on the sports platform, how do you see that changing? I mean, there's a lot of talk around other, other means of being able to consume that data. So noticed during the World Cup that the BBC was talking about virtual reality for their football platforms. It must be quite fun working on some of those kind of cutting edge. Absolutely. We, we have, um, as part of the design product, we are experimenting with different options and we've certainly played with uh, virtual reality. Um, the, uh, our Opta brand will give us, um, could give some kind of second screen functionality. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot to be done there. Um, but yeah, the, as you say, virtual reality, the immersive one is definitely something we're looking into. And do you see habits in terms of the consumer changing? I mean, a Netflix for sport, um, I've seen that you know, secondary screens in, in a house are now getting more and more important, but I would still kind of imagine that sporting events would draw people kind of around a collective television rather than watching it on their own on a laptop or a phone. No, Maybe I, I'm wrong about that, I don't know. Um, it is, people are going more and more to the smaller devices. I think it's yeah. the same as everywhere else. They're out and about. They want to catch the game. Um, but yes, nonetheless, you're right. People do like to get together, get the beers out and, and look at a big screen, uh, which is why we've made sure that DAZN is on every single uh, living room uh, device we can actually develop for. So smart TVs, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything is covered, and which is uh, one of the many challenges. Um, never really it was exposed to a lot of the uh, technologies used in the living room around the world but they vary enormously from country to country every country we launch in they've got a new standard set-top box that's common mm -hmm. in that particular country which is challenging technologically but i suppose at the same time pushes you forward innovation wise because you're getting, you're getting to see what countries are kind of playing with what yes absolutely picking up on one thing there you're talking about the fact that obviously you get some data from how technology is being uh, sorry, rather, let's say that, con that content is being consumed over technology in different ways in different countries. Yes. Again, going back to that point about distance between kind of a developer and product or a developer and their, their customer, how, where is your development team? They're all based in the UK, but you've got trends emerging in the Middle East. That might be difficult. So wh where is your development team and how have you, how have you grown that as an organization to enable you to have a footprint in markets and respond to those changes and innovations? We have 
mainly taken a nearshore policy for our developers. So we primarily got development offices in London, mm -hmm. uh, but also in Poland, Slovakia, um, and soon to be Amsterdam, and a small one in America through, through an acquisition. Um, and we haven't found really much benefit of having developers near the products per se, although right. the business does need to be present because there's always uh, idiosyncrasies with the, the um, uh, nationalities and the way they consume products. Japan was particularly interesting. They're very, very different to Europe. Um, so, uh, but often, you know, you set up a development center, you, it's quite, can quite rapidly saturate the market with mm. certain skills, in which case you have to have to move to the next region, which is why we're spreading out over Europe at the moment. Culturally, does that give you a bit of a, a bit of a problem? Because the, the, the organization that you paint, you know, you've, you've been here for 12 years, a lot of uh, developers becoming application architects is one that's quite close-knit in its feel. It feels like it's a family. Yes. But then if you've got developers in different locations, it would almost feel that outsourcing those nearshore development would make more sense to then keep the team cohesion here in London and that, that, that model working nicely. But I'm, I'm assuming that's not the case. You've, you've obviously taken a look and gone, this works for us. So how do you build a culture and keep that same feeling, but having distributed teams. Um, each office does tend to build up its own culture. Um, what we, by and large, do try and make sure a given development team is in one office. Um, there have been cases where it's been spread out over multiple offices, but we generally try and avoid that. The productivity and just the social cohesion right. is, is much better if they're physically sat together. Um, and sometimes there's cultural differences and uh, communication problems between offices, which is uh, uh, something to be avoided as well. Um, so, the, but yeah, we do have to make sure we establish a good working relationship between uh, whoever's leading it, be it the architects, the product owners, mm -hmm. and the developers, um, which are normally in different offices. So, um, uh, good video conferencing technology, lots of regular travel and meetups, mm -hmm. and and a good amount of you know social events. Uh, generally, sort that out. Increasingly, there's a skill shortage in, in technology. Yes. You obviously mentioned there that you've got quite a number of developers here, but they're quite junior. So do you, do you look to take people from different uh, avenues, not necessarily kind of a, a computer sciences graduate, but people maybe from apprenticeship programs or other graduate courses or school leavers? And, and being in sports, does that help you attract them? Do you, do you just get sports enthusiasts who might have an interest in technology, but they kind of grow into this career rather than necessarily always plan to be a developer? Um, we we do have some a um, lot of horizontal movements within Perform. Um, so, for example, we've had some guys who have come in to join Opta for the uh, the acquisition of data. Mm -hmm. So that you know they'll sit in the screen and they'll log where the players are and what the acquisitions are going on. And some of them have proven to be technically skilled and they've moved into kind of the support teams. So that kind of movement and migration into a more technical um, function certainly has happened. Well, look, it's been lovely to spend some time with you. Thanks for, for giving up a bit of time on this very hot afternoon. <laughs> but um, yes, thank you. And, and fingers crossed, uh, the Netflix for sports continues to grow. Brilliant. Thank you. Josie, had you heard of Perform Group? I hadn't. I'll be perfectly honest. I, I, as I said in the interview, I hadn't heard of them. And then you discover some of the products that they've got and you go, oh, Christ, no, I have heard of you, mm. but just not in that context. Yeah, all of the kind of groups that they own as a whole when yeah. they're discussing that, that those kind of groups I've actually heard of before, Optimary I didn't realise exactly they were yeah, linked yeah. back to Perform Group. Um, I thought there were some interesting cultural points made there. Um, he talks about the fact that uh, they've got nearshore development teams in Poland, Slovakia, uh, a, a new centre in Amsterdam, a small one in the, in the US via uh, 
um, acquisition and also London. But I thought it was a really interesting comment that you go and you set up a development centre, but then you have to move and spread yourself across Europe because you quickly saturate the market. Mm. You talk to people and you often get the kind of sense that they're setting up somewhere and that's their solution. But this says, just like anything else in tech, it's moving and you have to, you have to keep moving yourself. Yeah, and I guess logically when you think about it and some of the comments that you made even in that interview about the skills shortage, um, things along those lines, having to constantly be changing and, and moving with the times kind of links to that really because mm. you've got to go where the talent is. Yeah, and quite obviously there's a talent shortage everywhere if you're able to saturate the market so quickly. I mean, you, you would imagine that if you went to Slovakia, say, that you're going to have fairly rich pickings for quite some time, but you have to give yourself a number of different options. I remember going to Web Summit last year and having this conversation with a, with a German guy called Florian, um, Florian Hubner, who ran a kind of a startup consultancy effectively, and, and, and discovering to my surprise and probably complete ignorance that it wasn't just London that had the, or the UK rather that had this problem. Mm. I think if you think about, look at sort of travel and movement of uh, people as well, London in a way is, is a hub for that. It's for people come to London for work. So they yeah. must be leaving somewhere, you know, so there's another angle looking at it there. That Brain drain from elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, what about this point as well though, that They've got their product architects development sitting in different areas. And, and Matt makes the point, social cohesion is much better if you sat together. Mm. Um, uh, that presents, I've, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of people on the podcast where they've started talking about the fact that, oh yeah, it's fine, we've got video conferencing and so on. And sure, we've got video conferencing, but I sometimes feel somewhat disconnected from our other offices. No, I agree with that. I think social cohesion and just sort of brainstorming and bouncing off each other and that sort of atmosphere that you get, you don't get that if you're not sat together, in yeah. my opinion. Um, you don't have that kind of interaction. And you, you give yourself a different set of challenges because, as he said, they've got to have social events where they get people together and they have to travel. So, yes, the people can work pretty much where they want to work, I guess, in some organisations, if you're structuring it that way, but then there is... Um, possibly uh, kind of an unspoken acceptance that you're also going to have to jump on a train, a plane, whatever else every now and then and maybe spend some more time away from home than you would if you lived nearer your job. Mm. And I think that's difficult in itself because, I mean, outside of work, we've all got sort of commitments and to have to give up that time to come and sort of travel and see your team, mm. it, it's kind of, like you say, it's another negative, really, whereas if you live sort of more locally to the, to the office. I think it's definitely a consideration. It's an angle that I hadn't really thought about properly when, when kind of you go, oh, yeah, it's great. We're going to have a team pretty much where they want to be. It's going to be remote, whatever else. But that does come with a different set of expectations in the longer term. Definitely. Um, anything else that you thought was interesting from that? Um, I really like the concept of the Netflix of sport. Yeah. It did intrigue me quite a lot. Um, I think I could sit for hours and flick through different areas of sport. So I think that could unfortunately suck me in on that one. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I often put on Sky Sports. And obviously, there's plenty of different options for Sky Sports. But I still want to watch sport live. Mm. Um, and this idea of Netflix kind of on demand, going back and watching different bits of sport from different areas. I suppose, I suppose it's impossible to watch live if, say you're an NFL fan here in the UK, you can't stay up and watch all the NFL games. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to. But, <laughs> you know, I, so I get it from that situation. I suppose sport is global, so that lends itself to it. Mm. But would you 
I mean, if football's not live, I'm generally not that interested. Do you not watch Match of the Day? Uh, if we win, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rare, given that Newcastle haven't won this season yet. I think the time difference comment is a good comment, though, because it's not just that, it's Formula One, yeah. uh, the boxing, that can be on late. You know, there's lots of different areas. Um, even if you don't get time to watch the football on a Saturday and you want to catch up, I do think that people will use it. Um, and if there was live sport on there as well, it might be a way that you could sort of pay for that rather than paying for specific things on Sky or, yeah. you know, there, there's different elements to it. And even kind if of they now charge, TV model, I guess. Yeah, even if they charge a bit more for sort of certain things to watch live, at least it's all in one hub and you don't have to scroll around for the best place to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being our guest this week. Uh, stay listening. We do have the news after this short advert break. So on Wednesday, uh, I'm off to Leeds to attend the CIO Water Cooler Northern event, a, a, a gathering of Northern IT leaders. Uh, and we're joined on the phone by CIO Water Cooler co-founder Dan Warburton. How are you, Dan? Hi, Dave. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. And this is the first time that you've taken the brands to the north of England, correct? Yeah, no, it's, it's very exciting. So um, the opportunity kind of came about... Um, from a, a visiting CIO at um, the London event, uh, loved the format, um, asked if we would expand the format to uh, to the north to accommodate his, uh, his, his his community of IT leaders called the Northern IT Leaders Group. So uh, yeah, it's great to expand the, the, the format and you know, good to get it out to a wider audience. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got some people from the local community going to be there. So you've got the Leeds City Council CEO, Tom Riedren, uh talking and also some, some leaders from the likes of Morrisons and Northumbrian Water. So, uh, so it's a real mix of, of different types of, of leaders and businesses, right? No, absolutely. It's going to be a, a real melting pot of, of tech enthusiasts, IT and technology chiefs. Um, I think all in all, there's about 80 um, tech leaders from right across the region's uh, biggest business who are c- contributing to, 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 the, uh, to the event, along with you know some, some really cool and interesting uh, inter- interesting sponsors. Um, we've got some great evangelist sessions taking place from the likes of Equal Experts, uh, BJSS and their Innovation Labs, at Payton, DevOps Group, um, and Infinity Works, and also um, fruition at IT who are. Uh, are a partner uh, there as well so looking forward to it obviously you know it's going to be great working with uh, with tech talks again you know, the award-winning dave savage so it'll be great to see uh, <laughs> to see you down there and to, to see the sort of content you guys get out of this this event look in particular we are really excited to be able to come along so thank you for that and to share the insight from from that day uh, and, and make sure that our audience have an opportunity to understand what's going on outside of just london but that said, you've also got an event coming up on the 28th of November that you're still very much able to invite people along to, right? We have indeed, yes. Yeah. So on the 28th of November, um, again at Merchant Taylor's Hall, um, we have upped um, the ante. And we're taking over the whole of the, the venue this time as we kind of expand the format further. We've got some awesome speakers lined up, people like Aid McCormack, uh, you know, author, you know, digital experts and, and strategists. We've got um, Alan Bumby, who's obviously a, a Fortune 100 uh, recruiter there. Um, and we also have Finn Golding, who is uh, the international CIO for Aviva, uh, but also author of uh, Flow and 12 Steps of Flow. So uh, more names to follow, but uh, it's looking good so far. So yeah, 
be great to get some uh, some folks along. And people can get to uh, get some more information on that event via ciowatercooler.co.uk. Absolutely, yeah. So the, all the information is, is on is on the site there. Just go to the events tab, follow it down there. You've got some uh, some bios of the speakers at the moment, some videos from the previous uh, event, uh, and then obviously there's uh, there's a registration page there too. So yeah, great to it's great to get some guys involved there. Awesome. Well, look, Dan, thanks very much for your time. Um, I hope that people do take take some an opportunity rather to to check out ciowatercooler.co.uk. Have a look at the event on the 28th of November, and I will see you on Wednesday. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back to Tech Talks, it is time for the news. And this week, we're diving back to UKTN. Luke Shipley has been writing for them. Um, He is CEO of Zinc. Ever heard of Zinc? They're, they're applying Ethereum to the recruitment process, basically to the management of records and contracts. So okay. blockchain disrupting um, the talent sector, I suppose. And anyway, he's written five tips for hiring a top tech team, which I thought was relevant uh, because Tiny, who are led by Ed Reed, Spixie by um, Renault Million and Brigade, uh, Florent and uh, Jean, who were last week's guests, for, for just just those three companies off the top of my head, I know they are all hiring right now. So shout out to them, check out their websites. Uh, they are looking for staff directly, so go and check them out. But hiring a tech team when you are a startup is a particular challenge, and there are some interesting learnings from this article. No, definitely. It makes some really sort of solid points um, in terms of sort of how you should hire your team. Mentions here about diversity from day one, and we've said National Inclusion Week um, obviously at the moment. Um, Tech industry isn't known for its diversity, particularly when it comes to gender. Whilst it's almost impossible to plan for for when you have the harsh realities and demands of a startup bearing down on you, it's important to ingrain diversity into your team from the start. Otherwise, it makes scaling teams without uh, cliches next to impossible. It's often been accused that startups don't really think about diversity and inclusion because it's just, we need the the resource now. Mm. Um, Do you think that there is... A responsibility that startup founders have to take that they might have to just accept that it's going to take longer and they have to do this? Yeah, I do. I do think that's the case, especially after sort of the world that we live in and in terms of how successful companies are and, and whether that is affected by diversity. I think there's lots of angles that they need to look at. Um, and I think if you don't do it from the beginning, then you're going to find it even more challenging to revisit that sort of central topic later. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about getting women into businesses, and if you hire an all-male tech team, and then in a year's time go, oh, now we need to get some sort of, sort of women on board, they come in for an interview and see that it's all men, that's not really going to attract them to your business, is it? Yeah. So I think you have to start thinking about that from day one, and if that takes longer, it takes longer, but it's only going to benefit you in the long term. Yeah, so even if it's short-term gain, sorry, sorry short-term pain, to wait longer, mm. the initial benefits aren't worth it in the long term. Exactly. Why do you get up to go to work? Sorry? Why do you get up to go to work? Enjoy my job. Yeah. Passionate about what I do. <laughs> Love Correct the people answer. that I work with. I mean, it does make the point <laughs> here as well. It, you know, it's not all about the money. And I think it's quite interesting because we, um, we hosted an event uh, recently where we had 60 people in a room and we, we did a live poll during, during the panel debate about what motivates people to work. And it was kind of purpose status or financial reward. Um, 
purpose overwhelmingly came out as the top reason. I think 75, 80% of people in the room put purpose. What surprised me was actually more people put status even than financial reward. Financial reward was bottom of that list. I kind of found that a little bit surprising. I didn't think status would come out above financial reward. I understand purpose being the number one thing, certainly within the tech community. People want to work, they want to feel like they're building something and naturally they're building something they're probably going to be working with newer technologies. Do you think people are being a little conceited though when they say, oh, money doesn't matter that much? I think sometimes, especially when you do kind of like a poll, I think yep. people like to tell themselves <laughs> that money doesn't matter. But I think in a realistic situation, I mean, especially sort of being in London and the cost of living and things like that, you, you do have to set a certain expectation on terms of what you would earn. Yeah. Um, and I do agree with you. Purpose for me is, is key. You know, you want to enjoy what you do. You want to enjoy the projects that you work on. Um, but I think financial sort of uh, situation would always be burning at the back of my mind, I think. I think that purpose is, in, is more important than, fi than financial reward in the, in the tech industry. I don't think it's 75 or 80% more important. No. I, I think there are a lot of people who are answering that in the way, like you say, that they'd, they'd like to be perceived exactly. rather than reality. Um, did you, anything else that you kind of picked out there? Um, I thought the sort of comment on experience isn't everything right. was really interesting to me um, because I actually sort of agree with that completely. I think if you're in a startup and you're trying to get the right kind of people on board, yep. you know, the people that are really going to drive your business, I do agree that I don't think that's going to come from experience. Yep. I think, yeah, you've got to have a certain amount of knowledge and you've got to have the skills that you're looking for because there's not going to be someone there to teach you that. Yep. But... I don't think you need tons of experience for that. You know, I think getting people that are hungry on board, people that are really going to believe in your vision mm -hmm. is more important than having someone on board who might have 20 years experience you know, working in that field. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you for coming and spending some time chatting to me. That's all right. We'll Sorry get Jack that... back next week. <laughs> hey, maybe I'm going to boot, boot Jack off. I don't know. You might come back with, with some kind of ego from America. I don't know. Oh, probably. <laughs> um, but yes, no, thank you for, for, for spending a bit of time. And uh, yeah, look, we use that as a bit of a plug for some of the organisations that have been on the show previously that I know are hiring directly. Tiny, Spixie, Brigade. There are more, um, but go check out their websites, especially if you're looking for a new job. They're exciting businesses. You can certainly check out their podcasts if you go back into the archive. Uh, Josie, much planned for today? being passionate and loving my job after oh, that statement. Great answer. <laughs> great answer. Uh, until next week then. <laughs>